Welcome back to a brand new season of ASEAN Connection. John, Jeff, and Rhea introduce the team's newest additions, Leia and Anne. In this episode, we discuss Anne and Leia's experiences growing up navigating non-Asian majority spaces. And in part two of our conversation, ASEAN Connection discusses their role models and what they have learned and are continuing to learn about their identities and cultures. Welcome back. This is ASEAN Connection Season 2. Hangs back, John, Jeff, Rhea, and today we are introducing two new co-hosts. Two. Two new co-hosts to the show. We got Leia and Anne. How's it going, guys? Hey. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we're we're just just vibing. I can can sense the excitement. uh, (laughs) We're so excited to be here. At the forefront. (laughs) Yes, welcome to you guys. <laughs> so uh, we do this little thing in Asian Connection. Well, we did this little thing where our first episode, we kind of just uh, talked about our experiences uh, growing up as Asians. So um, today we're going to treat our audience with the stories of Leia and Anne, their experiences growing up, what it means to them to be Asian and uh, their stories. So um, take it away, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Hello, I'm Leia. <laughs> um, I was born and raised like just here in Toronto, and then I moved to Milton, which is this completely suburban um, area. And at the time, it was complete like farm town. Now it's just more of a suburb. One of the times that I distinctly remember like being Asian is when I brought Baon to class, and honestly, it wasn't even anything. It was just like rice and something. I don't know if it was like adobo or like sausages and I was using a spoon and fork because I've always used a spoon and fork and um, another classmate like a few classmates would ask me like oh why are you using a spoon and fork like you don't have soup and I was like well how else am I supposed to get the rice um, and they're like you use your fork obviously and I was like what is that like a thing and I look around me and like yeah everyone just had like a fork and so apparently that's like a thing and that was one of the first kind of moments I realized like, oh, like that's kind of different. But then other people would even ask me too, like, oh, how come you're not using chopsticks? And I was like, why do I need to be using chopsticks? <laughs> like, it's a rice, like I, that's not what I use. They're like, but you're Asian, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm Filipino. Like I didn't know yet. I think this was like grade one or two. I didn't know yet that there was like a difference. Uh, you know, between like Asia and then like the separate countries. I was just like, oh, I'm Filipino. That's what my parents told me. And they're like, no, you're Asian, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then I went home. I remember asking my parents and they're like, yeah, technically you're Asian. You know, it's that this whole like consonant. Um, so that was kind of cool. But also, yeah, I remember going back to class a lot and there was a lot of like, oh, why aren't you wearing chopsticks? Or like people going like this at me or people saying like, hey, can you help me with my math? And I'm like, I'm bad at math. <laughs> but they're like, no, but you're Asian. And I was like, why is that the explanation? But yeah, it's just like a little bit of how I grew up and how I realized that there is a difference, I guess. So is anybody yeah. here good at math? No. I was until I realized I didn't need math in my field. So mm-hmm. I stopped trying. <laughs> yeah, oh, I wow. think we were like, yeah, you'll all, you'll all just become journalists. Yeah, we're journalists for a reason. We can't do math. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I was yeah. good at math till like ninth grade. And then that's when exactly. like, it's just like, okay, this is actually real math now. And then, you know, you get to grade 10, you're like, it's getting harder. <laughs> and then you and go like, to grade 11 and you're just like, yo, 
did you get this at the last answer on the test? And they're like, no, I got this. And it's like, what? And like literally everyone else got like a different answer, the same answer. And then you got like something else and you're just like, okay, I guess I'm not Asian enough, quote unquote. <laughs> the problem yeah. with that feel, right, is like that like math you have to practice that's why they make you do those workbooks and stuff mm -hmm. and you gotta keep practicing learning the formulas and math is just a cyclical thing where you're just learning more complicated formulas that stack up on each other and it's like damn i don't i didn't want to do that anymore because i didn't need it so yeah yeah that's fair and like i was i think i just did math until they started introducing like the alphabet i was just gonna and say. i was like mm, yeah. that's that's mm -hmm. a lot um, and then also I kind of learned as I grew up, like math doesn't make sense. <laughs> like legitimately people who study math degrees, they talk about how math doesn't make sense because it doesn't work in like different fields of like, I guess, dimensions of study or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> tell just, me what like yeah. the, the, the application of calculating the arc of a parabola is going to give you like on the day to day. Like, I can understand if you're like a basketball player and you can like make that calculation in your head as you're like about to arc the shot. But like, other than that, I don't see any, any point of doing that ever. So even then, yeah, I mean, if you're an <laughs> engineer, maybe you kind of need the measurements to like build shit. No, I don't know. I'm not building <laughs> nothing. I mean, there's, oh. it's important. Let's put that out there. We're, Dude, yeah, the only important, important thing is to like calculate your taxes, your finances. That's it. Like if you can oh, do that, I was just good at that math. They should have taught mm -hmm. us that math. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They never taught that. Like no. any of that finances, no. how to take. I think they're doing that now adult. with like oh. kids, like in high school, they're teaching them like financial literacy and like taxes. So Credit. that's good for them, but mm. sucks for us because like yeah. we didn't get none of that. I know. Yeah, I would have changed things completely. I, I wouldn't have blew ten grand in first year. But that's... Ten grand. Oh shit! That's that's including tuition. Oh, oh my god! Wait, on yeah, what? Ten, ten grand yeah, and like, tuition, or rent? I, I think that you know how you guys all had our RSPs, right? Or like the savings plans, uh -huh. like yeah. that your mom's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Like that. I don't think it was from tuition because tu OSAT would have covered that, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all those savings were just extra money that I could use, and so I think I blew it just it... on like alcohol and Amazon. Oh. Mine went <laughs> yeah. straight to my tuition. I didn't have a choice, yeah. but like I would have put it towards my tuition. I mean, but the OSAP covered so much, and the grants in OSAP at that time were pretty good. And then I just had ten grand in my bank account immediately, and I didn't know what to do with that money. Oh, ten grand plus the money I saved up from working over the summer. Oh, Damn! God. So this guy was like yeah. balling out for real. And you said you were good at math. <laughs> yo, he's good at math because he's like, yo, I got ten k to spend. It's not yeah, adding up. Good at math. Making zero. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, I, one another part of your story you were highlighting was just your lunch experiences, and then just the fact that people were expecting to you to use chopsticks. I had a question. Do you yeah. guys actually eat chopsticks of rice? I do um, now today, but like that's when know? chopsticks. Depends. That's when like yeah. fork and spoons. Like you go to like certain restaurants, and like you can ask for a fork and spoon. I feel like sort of pride in saying like, yo, I can eat like rice with chopsticks. So I just like do that, right? The, the really like either fast or you like you get a big chunk of rice. 
It depends yeah. on the rice too. Because it like, also depends on the rice. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's like the sticky, like well, not sticky, but like the kind that like clumps together better, mm-hmm. then like it's easy to eat it with chopsticks. But if it's like the one that's really like I don't know, like grainy, I guess the kinds that doesn't like, like clump up, yeah. parboiled, yeah. Yeah. Parboiled then it's just all right. You're going like this a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you like that token person? Always like it with friend groups with other non-Asians. Try to teach them how to use chopsticks. Uh, they, are they always uh, going to you like how do you use these things why are yeah. you using these you know I'm, I, I, I hate to say it but I'm that guy in my group of like Asian friends because even um, just recently we went to Montreal and we were eating at dim sum two of my friends never ate at dim sum before oh, oh yeah. and I was like what you've never eaten dim sum and then we ordered like you know the chow mein noodles right mm-hmm. they come like they come like with the noodles and then like the toppings are on top and you have to mix it they just started like taking noodles. I'm like, hold up, wait, we got to mix it first, right? So then uh, my friend was mixing it and he was mixing it so badly. I'm like, stop. <laughs> so then I just took it and then I was like, you know, doing what my what my uncle would traditionally do when um, we go to dim sum as my family. So I was just like, I guess I got to show them the ropes. You're the Tito now. I know. I'm the Tito <laughs> For listeners that don't know, Tito is like uncle mm-hmm. in Tagalog. I don't think I've ever taught um, my friends, but my like my mom doesn't really know how to eat with chopsticks. Oh yeah, so my I've mom had too. To, like, yeah, I've had to show her how to hold them properly. My Jeff, mom. Don't make that face, Jeff. We're Wait. Filipino. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know, I know. I. I it's just because like some people they can't like yeah. hold it in their hands. Like, they like properly. cross the sticks and like. Or, like it's, yeah. It's, because, yeah. like, the way to do it is, like, for the One viewers that straight. are watching the video, you put the two chopsticks here between, like, the grooves of your finger so, like, you can hold it kind of, I don't know, kind of like a pencil, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, kind of like a pencil is how I was taught. Yeah, mm. so you hold it like that. But some people, like, they just can't. Like, it's the same way, like, some people can't snap, like me, or some people can't what? whistle. Like, I don't know. I can't whistle. <laughs> I can I can whistle, but I can't snap. Um, but yeah. okay, but like the main rule I kind of tell people is like, like the last three fingers are like kind of like the base. You're only really using yeah. your uh first two fingers, really, or three actually. You're kind of just using three. like your and you're just uh, crossing them. You're just to pick up stuff, you know. I don't even think I'm doing it the proper way. Um, yeah, but it works, no, and it's like. <laughs> So like sometimes yeah. I still like drop the chopsticks, but like when I get in the groove, like I'm able to like eat properly. But yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. I'm doing it like tra- the traditional way or whatever. I just do it the way it w- works for me. Yeah, same. It's like typing for me. Totally not the right way, but it I can do it. It works as long it as works. it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did um, find one of my friends was using chopsticks like so close to the bottom like the pointy part and i was like oh, no like you're struggling so hard i was like no you have to put your hand a little bit further up. my other friend was so savage about it she was like oh what did she say she was like you're basically touching your food at that point <laughs> no just use your hands it's like it's like the people yeah. that like write with pencils right and they're holding it at before the yeah, line. I would yeah, 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 say yeah. that and their face is down here yeah and they're like this and it's just like what are you doing <laughs> your hand is gonna cramp yeah oh yeah and you're gonna get lead all over your fingers mm. uh i had one more thing to say about chopsticks have you ever been in a situation where you're with a, a non-asian 
and you're at a, an Asian restaurant, obviously, and they grab the person, the fork, but they also grab you, the fork, too, assuming that assuming, you wouldn't yeah. know either, because you're, you're like a, that you're like a whitewashed Asian. Mm-hmm. It would Never be so embarrassing for me. I'd be like, um, I can use the chopsticks. I, it's just <laughs> uh, so embarrassing. I think offended is a strong no. word, but offended. I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm a chopstick purist. <laughs> Stop. I'm Asian. Come on now. I'm Asian enough to know how to use chopsticks, okay? <laughs> Not that like people that can't use it are less Asian, just you know, I don't know. It's just a thing. <laughs> I don't think that's happened to me. Um, nor have I really thought about that. That's so funny though. Um <laughs> but yeah, oh my gosh, that reminds me though of this one time I was at um it's like the Korean fried oh the fry. Um, and they have amazing Korean fried chicken and I was with my friend he was he's black and I ordered the fried chicken I think he ordered like a different kind of spicy toss meat or whatever mm-hmm. or chicken or whatever and then the waiter came by and gave him the fried chicken and me the other order and he was low-key like this is racism <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> like that's kind of cringe uh-huh. um, yeah so yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The fry. Which which location though. was I mean, this? Oh, this was Ottawa. There's one Ottawa? in Toronto oh. though. So. Mm-hmm. Ottawa There's... is one of the first places that I remember. Or no, it is the first place that I blatantly remember being like, I guess assumed to be an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's one of the first places I heard like, oh, your English is really good. And I was oh, like, nice. you know, it's better Ottawa. be <laughs> from here. <laughs> like, I was born here. so. Um, or I was told to, um, while I was working retail in Ottawa, um, I was complaining about the winter because I hate the winter. I just, like, I can't stand the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the customers was like, yeah, like, here we get all four seasons. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> like, I know. Really? <laughs> you don't yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess for for Anne, it might be slightly mm-hmm. different since you grew up in more of the Toronto area. Like, mm-hmm. what was it? What was the moment you realized you were different in a more diverse mm-hmm. area? Yeah, well, actually, the area I grew up in, I've kind of always had at least one other person that was Filipino, so I didn't kind of feel like a token or just the only person there. But rather, I just kind of remember back in school. I think I mentioned this a while back, but. There, like, there used to be like ESL classes for like mm-hmm. pretty much a lot of grades, and I remember there would kind of um, there was an influx of like a lot of Filipino immigrants. Like, I kind of knew, like, I had like a sort of an idea of what it meant to be Filipino, basically, because you know um, my parents would play Filipino TV or news in the background, and of course there was Miss Universe. So I know like there was a Miss Philippines, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that was my earliest instance of kind of identifying with something, but also kind of taking into the gravity of what it means to be Asian was just kind of hearing teachers and hearing individuals kind of like group apart ESL kids and Canadian born kids. Cause I remember, um, yeah, I also mentioned this, that there was like a no Tagalog rule where you can only speak English like in school, which is apparently pretty, like it's pretty sus. Cause like, like I found out it was sus like after I left school. And then I was like asking people like, Oh, like, did this ever happen in your school? And they were like, that's not normal. And I'm like, oh shit, like that's like a whole story. But I just remember also just kind of re- receiving those kind of comments 
from teachers that they would just kind of like group apart Filipino born, like Filipinos and people born here. And there was just kind of like, I guess a separation as well in terms of like, we didn't really talk as much, but like, I just remember even going into like high school, just kind of having that association kind of like feeling a little embarrassed because I didn't want to be like associate, like treated as like a fob. Like, I think that I remember that was like a really big thing, like in Toronto, just like, I guess being teased, just kind of showing the, like, for me, if like I would show the insidious like bit of being Filipino, for example, like going out to eat or like doing all these things, I'd kind of like be in fear of being called a fob and just having that like association, um, just basically due to the fact of that like adults or teachers that were white or like non-Filipino, like were treating us differently. But it wasn't until like I got into university where there weren't as many like Filipinos or Asians in my program because I'm in English. I didn't don't have a journalism background, but rather it was like English literature, like old white people books and like old white people English or old English or something. I don't know. It's like a really like like a really like deep in kind of like course or program in the sense that like there there's kind of barely any diversity. Like when I first started going like to my first year courses and I remember there was this one like course that I took I think it was like intro to Canadian literature and I just remember being the only person of color in a tutorial and someone saying a really racist thing about like a book you're reading I think it was about like Indigenous Canada because like at the time like like our professor really wanted to diversify like the literature but I remember when this was like introduced I just kind of felt like a little uncomfortable just like being in that vicinity and just kind of being targeted as like a person of color just by having it tolerated that those things were kind of said no one really said anything I was just kind of like why is no one saying anything or why is this going on um and I remember um I wrote this like freelance piece for Huff Post because I also used to be in a sorority as well and I think there's sororities in Ottawa or across like other Canadian schools but I was in a sorority and I remember um, there was one instance of going into a party and just having someone drunkenly come up to me. And I kid you not, they didn't ask what my name was. They didn't ask like my Instagram handle or like if I wanted a drink or if they wanted to drink, they just asked like, or just said, oh, are you Filipino? Cause my nanny is Filipino. Just starts going off about her nanny. And then like, you can automatically tell that she was sheltered too. Cause I'm like, you don't just go up and say that to like, like a person of color you don't even know if they're Filipino like what if I wasn't Filipino and you said that and she just started talking like this gibberish or what she thought was Tagalog and I would just stood there I was like floored and looking at the people beside me and I was like are you like is this actually real and I just remember like yeah nothing was really said about that and at the same time like kind of having like being uncomfortable and just kind of hearing people say like openly blatantly racist stuff and like just like in front of me and I'm like um like I like how is this like going on so I wrote like a freelance piece about it for HuffPost and then it just kind of like became like a little like talker about diversity not just in Greek life but in university and navigating those white spaces and I remember the backlash from it like the comments were nice because at the same time there were people I knew that kind of identified it with it regardless of the fact they were in like Greek life or like sports or something, they just kind of had a connection to it. Just feeling like an outsider because they were like the only like person of color there and they just had to be like in this white space. But other comments I kind of got were just like, 
a cursor of racist trolls. Like people just call journalists fake news all the time. So that was that was that. But there was this one comment from I actually don't really know who it is, but I know it was like a guy just commented that saying that I was ruining Greek life because I was like talking like about my experience. And I just remember that comment being backed up like on social media, like, oh yeah, this person's like talking about like racism and Greek life and ruining Greek life. Like this isn't what it is at all. And I'm like, this isn't your personal experience like that you're going through as a white man. And it was really ironic because like the year after 2020 during Black Lives Matter and Asian like Stop Asian Hate, like posting those black squares and those things on their story from these certain fraternities that were saying shit. And I'm like, you literally just like, like what happened? Like- like, it was just a really, I don't know, man. It was frustrating. I feel like, uh, especially with that, like, I think we've talked about it before, but, mm-hmm. like, everybody just, like, hopped on that bandwagon because, like, it was, I don't know, like, even if they didn't believe it, they're still going to post that black square. They're still going to post, like, um, all that stuff. And, yeah, it's just, it, mm-hmm. it goes back to, like, social activism and, like, is it, like, social media activism versus, like, real activism? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's, like, obviously another conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very performative, and it's, it gives me, like, remember when people used to change their, like, profile photo to have, like, some kind of superimposed photo of a flag or something? Mm-hmm. Um, and then claim that they're, like, um, for France or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. you're just posting something it's not like you're actually donating or mm-hmm. yeah or being know. at rallies or doing yeah. like you know i guess mm-hmm. like activism on on the ground yeah. um i actually had a question because um this whole greek like sorority and fraternity oh, yeah i had something about that too but yes I, I, per- I, I personally had a bad experience myself but i'll get to that later but oh shit. i guess what did what incentivized you because I'll, I'll say this as a like a person of color and I'm talking to other people of color like anybody who we see joining a fraternity or a sorority as a person of color we kind of yeah. have some assumptions that they're yeah. whitewashed like- because that we generally uh, assume that that's like a white people thing unless up, it's dude? like uh mm-hmm. unless yeah unless there I'm are like, the a, like a specific like <laughs> black sorority or an asian sorority not i don't think there were any of that nature in um in ottawa that the, at least in carlton in like, a, like mm-hmm. an asian something like that i don't know if what it was for you oh yeah we actually did have because i i know mcmaster has an asian frat and an asian like sorority and I know that UFT has an Asian sorority because I was almost recruited to join them when I went into UFT like I remember like they um, asked if I wanted to join and I just remember doing some research about it but basically kind of how I found out about sororities were just kind of like of course kind of like how everyone finds out about them like through the media and just seeing those stupid little shows and I'm like like I know this like I was like is this a real thing like, I want to see if it's a real thing so like before I got to UFT, I just kind of like searched all these different student organizations and these sororities and just kind of like saw a little bit about what they do. And it, I just kind of saw it as like a networking thing, kind of like what, like why you'd kind of see a lot of business students like go into Greek life or people from a certain major do Greek life. Because I thought that as someone that doesn't have any connections or don't like doesn't really like, like I am the first person to go to university as a person of color. And I don't kind of have those connections as well. And I know that like, or I've heard kind of through Greek life that there's certain experiences that you go through, for example, 
or that like certain members kind of like know certain things not like know certain things but rather there's kind of like something you associate with like just kind of like how you're an alumni of this school it's kind of like you're a member of this like Greek organization also it's like like it initially started like if do you want me to like go deeper in the rabbit hole and just okay cool <laughs> I'm like well technically they kind of started as like a friendship thing as well I know for the one I joined or for most of like how they were created they were just basically secret societies for people to join and for women there were kind of like means of like I guess finding community on campus when there weren't really as many women on campus um and really I kind of acknowledge that because of that like definition it can be misconstrued and it would be unfair just to not just to not really acknowledge the fact that when women of color weren't allowed at some, at some universities or some um, sororities and fraternities as well. But it's also interesting just to look at organizations for like people of color, for example, like like HBCUs, like, um, like there's Greek life there and there's like black fraternities and black sororities. And there's also those Asian sororities. Like I think they're much more prominent in the States, but I'm, but they definitely have like a scene in Canada. But I find that when I was joining my sorority, it was just kind of basically finding people I was like in tune with who also happened to be people of color. Because mm -hmm. I think at the time, um, my sorority was one of the most diverse on campus. And I'm actually still kind of like an advisor there. Just kind of not only not advisor, like monitoring if they drink alcohol or something, but just, you know, like kind of keeping in touch. And I just know that it's a fact that we're one of the most diverse sororities on campus and actually make DI like a priority. But I think like it really like, I guess I don't want to speak on all Greek organizations, but I can understand like why people have bad experiences and why you can like see some racism in some kind of organizations. But at the same time, I kind of find it really fascinating that it's changing in a way that we're kind of asking these questions or people in Greek life like need or like need to have this conversation because at the same time like it's interesting just to like have these different like perspectives um but we also kind of need those kind of critics in greek life like i'm pretty sure there are people that kind of feel the same way but but yeah that was just pretty much my whole gist of things mm -hmm. I got two things I... to say about the greek oh. life sorry uh, <laughs> first uh the keggers aren't real are they oh, yeah, no, the kegger <laughs> Like, like, wait, like, what do you mean? Like the actual, like, kegger? Yeah, like the keg and like, yo, let's Ooh. go to the kegger, bro. Come on. Like, is well, that real or no? Well, actually, <laughs> I can tell you a little insider thing. Jeff looks not, like he knows. Like, not even my boyfriend knows. Like, I told my boyfriend this and he was like, is this actually a thing? But in U at UFT, there is a student bar called the Maddie. And apparently there's something called, like, Maddie Mondays where people in Greek life go to the basement in this bar and they have special rates on pictures and everything. And I remember telling my boyfriend about the basement. He was like, there's a basement and it's open on Mondays. And I'm like, oh shit. But yeah, if you mean like Kegger hangout, like, yeah, there's always some sort of like hangout that people go to, but I can definitely tell you that like, I worked for one party for like one of my friends and like they're real, but they're watered down. Okay. I can, yeah fair mm -hmm. and the second thing I was going to say is uh my brief experience with the Greek life mm -hmm. I remember I was on campus at Carlton it was our first year I think it was frosh week mm -hmm. I was just like walking from like one frosh event to another and then some guy approaches me and like 
an Abercrombie like polo shirt and has like a sweater like oh, tied, tied back. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing about that. But yeah, so a guy approached me. He's like, "Hey, man, what do you know about the Greek life?" That's not how you ask someone to join a frat. I mean, I, I didn't know at the time what it was. So like, I was just like, uh, I know the Greek gods, uh, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, like, because I read the Percy Jackson books growing up just like ignorant not knowing it was like a fraternity and he just like walked away i'm like okay that's kind of funny <laughs> so that was like my brief encounter with the greek life um mm-hmm. it's, i guess it wasn't for me damn how about you jeff what was your experience now i want to know because actually <laughs> like i i just want to hear also because like yeah carlton does have a chapter of my sorority i just remembered so I mean, J- Jeff yeah. already has the polo shirt, so he's good. Wait, you have a polo shirt? <laughs> he's got the polo oh, shirt. The one he's, he's, got the he's got he's got the hat backwards too. Oh man, <laughs> he he's the ready. <laughs> Yo, Chad, Brad, let's go. I don't even wear these outside anymore. But um, okay, so my just quick story was, um, my roommate in first year res was like one of my best friends in first year, and then he joined a frat, and I lost him. Uh, yeah, oh like once he joined the frat, he was like gone. Um, and he was before he before uh, he left, he was trying to recruit me really hard. And I was like, mm, I don't know. And then one day I was walking down the street of like one of the hallways. Sorry, my bad. Not the street. Um, and then this guy comes up to me. He's like, yo, you got to join the frat, bro. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yo, you know, there are bad bitches there in sororities. You can fuck bad That's bitches. That's not true. <laughs> what? That's a weird like, way. And he, and he said, look at me. Look at me. I'm getting pussy. You can join too. And I'm like, if, what the fuck? Yo. You don't say that oh if you're god. getting. Oh my god. No one oh. that gets pussy mentality. Like that. You don't tell people you're getting it if you don't. Guaranteed <laughs> that guy's running an alpha man podcast right now. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that was the selling point. Like I was like, I was starting to consider maybe because I'm like, yeah, like you said before, <laughs> networking and things like but that was networking. Jeff wants to network. Oh no, no. Oh no. Oh my god. That's so funny. Oh my Bold. Gosh. That's so wait, See, then what just... happened? Oh well, that obviously is? I was like. I just walked away. Yeah, that was like that was the That's very not I'm... how you recruit. <laughs> well, I it's think, like I this think is the not frat. It. I think the frat guys are very different from sorority girls in their I... approach. Like, like, yeah. Hey man, you want to join the frat? Like you know, it's like they just tell you all the I guess things that I guess maybe guys would like. They, you know what? I guess they take it differently. You know, that reminds me of just someone just popping out of a bush and just like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> like that just reminds me of those like, I don't really know the term for it. Like the, those guys, like, you know, like those, those people on the side of the street that want to sell you drugs. Like, hey, oh, yeah, like, uh, like someone that's like, hey, like, uh, have you heard like the word of like someone, something or like either someone yeah. trying to sell you like religion, drugs mm-hmm. or like, like a yeah. Ponzi scheme or like Loki some- occult yeah Alt? yeah that's yeah. that's another one uh leah i know you wanted to say something <laughs> earlier uh, if you wanted to. yeah i was gonna relate to what ann said about like when you looked into um sororities and greek life before going in um especially as like the first person in your family to like go into um post-secondary mm-hmm. um and especially for me i moved 
uh, like five hours away to Ottawa and I didn't know anyone else who was going to that school. I didn't know anyone else from my high school or my elementary who was going in. So I was like, oh, look, fast friends, you know what I mean? Like easy connections, like I can get in and like just at least be comfortable knowing I have people there. Um, the thing that deterred me though, cause I was like, yeah, networking, friends, um, maybe meeting other um, like-minded people and other Asian people. The thing that deterred me was the price. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was, like, mm, was going to say that I was too. Like, I'm not trying to pay for friends. Like, I thought, I'm already I thought, paying enough. To I thought you were going to say the, guy, the person that deterred you was the guy that approached Jeff. Oh, no, imagine. <laughs> imagine. Yeah, no, he stopped me in the halls and the tunnels. No. Um, but yeah, no, I saw that price tag and I was like, uh, I can, uh, maybe okay. not. This is like, it's very telling that I don't know nothing about the Greek life, but I didn't even know you had to pay oh yeah you have mm. to pay like how, how much are we talking here Ooh, um so i remember like a break going to have like conversations about how much it costs and to be honest like it is hefty like like it is a hefty cost that not a lot of people can afford and i wish there was something that that like we can do about it like alumni perhaps like creating like a scholarship pool for people to be like to afford paying stuff like that and I think that's also kind of a reason why Greek life isn't really as diverse mainly because the fact there are financial costs and during um, 2020 during the Black Lives Matter protest one thing that um, a lot of like fellow members from my sorority have been doing and actually um, most of the people that I still talk to or have met through Greek life were actually um, well, not just the ones in my university, but people I've met from other universities in the States, one of them who's actually Filipino and is also an advisor there. So it was really interesting, like meeting other Filipinos through Greek life and just kind of having that connection still. But I realized, um, oh yeah, back to that story, um, I kind of got sidetracked for a bit. Um, we wrote a letter to headquarters about reducing the dues internationally just because it really deters um, a lot of first-generation college students and deters, mm -hmm. like, people of color. And I remember that was, like, a really big thing going on about lowering the dues and just making it easier. Um, but mainly what we paid for, because we had a house in Toronto and, like, property taxes are really shitty and, like, hydro and kind of stuff like that. So pretty much most of our dues were kind of used to, like, not just do programming as well by like like what kind of programming like just like events kind of like being able to cover the cost of like formals and going to certain things and also covering the costs of like for example if a few people were just to go to like a convention or a trip to like the U.S. I know I had to do like one in my first year to Tennessee that would be paid for but mostly it's just kind of due to like the house and like other international stuff but yeah no it is it is kind of pricey but I actually did pay it on all on my own so that was like a really cool thing so are we talking like three digits four digits <laughs> like I just want like a ballpark from, reference for this from, uh, what I, life. Mm -hmm. from what I remember when I was looking at one of the Carlton ones um like the range I think was like six to seven hundred dollars for for the year I don't remember if it was a semester though like I think it was just per semester mm -hmm. um, but I could be wrong like I was literally just looking at like an estimate so I was like oh my god like I can't afford that yeah <laughs> so. they shouldn't they shouldn't call it the Greek life they should call it the Greek semester 
Because that's, that's the case. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're kind of not wrong. It's like I would say in a year, like four figures. Like I would say, like the average for U of T was twelve hundred. But to be fair, for other houses, they have like three hundred, four hundred dollar rent to be able to live in a house. Like that was back when I was like living there i'm not too sure if it changed but the one like upsell of it was the fact that there was really cheap housing and the fact that like it was an international thing so it helped a lot for other international students or let's just say you're from the states it helped a lot because i know it's a lot bigger in the states and just to have that kind of connection so i think that was a really big selling point as well for like why people wanted to join but yeah no it's it's hefty so i guess with these conversation we've learned a little bit about like that moment of when you were able to become Asian. But I guess now that we're in 2022 and obviously with the inception of the show to now, time has changed. Like what has your viewpoints of being Asian changed? Like what does it mean to be Asian today? Like, do you feel different? Do you feel like you've learned a lot of like the concepts? What is like the biggest thing that you learned uh, about yourself and identity? Um, I think um, Rhea said this before, but I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in this day and age especially is like, honestly, just being born Asian is enough, more than enough. Like that's, I don't need to like prove that I know where the Philippines is. And also just, I think the fact that I've been able to just embrace what my family or how my family celebrates and um, I guess upholds Asian traditions is like, also more than enough like I don't need to go into like oh um I don't know why we do this if we live in Canada blah 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 like things like that like what do other Canadians do um it's nice to just be able to like you know exist and like have these this intersection of like cultures um readily available that I don't even have to think about um I think that's cool because then when other people kind of ask you about it you're like oh yeah like this dish is like made because of this I'm like I don't know it's cool because you're also kind of educating other people at the same time. Yeah, I don't know for me. Like, I feel like it has changed, like, quite a lot. But at the same time, I feel like finding your identity is just an ongoing journey. And it doesn't really kind of stop at a certain point. And there's just always so much learning to do. But for me, just kind of, like, looking, like, at the past and where I've been, I feel like I've grown a lot in the sense that, like, I feel like I no longer have to hide who I really am. And I wouldn't have to be ashamed of certain things and rather like feel proud of like going to a Filipino restaurant or being able to like eat this and show like my non-Filipino friends. And at the same time, I kind of feel like, yeah, like it's really cool just to like be part of like a culture that has been really resilient and actually really is really unique and special. And I just remember, like, I think one thing that woke me up, like, I guess, like one really critical moment was whenever I had non-Filipino friends and just kind of talking to them about like a food place I went to and them just kind of saying like, oh, I love Filipino food. You guys have really good food. Like I wish I had that kind of food growing up. And it just kind of made me like take a lot of things for granted. Like for example, just the type of food that I get to eat every day or the fact that I know how to cook these certain things and that this is something special to my family. Um, I guess I would call it like, oh yeah, like I have some seasoning, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but like, you know, it's just really something that I can like be proud of and no longer really have to hide. I think what it's a very common theme that we've, I think all, all shared through our stories over mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the show is, 
food has been a very easy and fun thing to showcase about our cultures. Like yeah. it became at one point became something that we were ashamed of. But then as we got older, we realized, wait, why are we ashamed of this delicious food? If anything, yeah. they should be ashamed for their stackables and whatever they're eating. Stackables. Their yeah. peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, that's less lunchables. lunchables and- your ham and cheese sandwich on white bread. Yeah. Crust cut. <laughs> The way that I wanted that, though, the way that that was my standard for lunch. When the the crust gets cut, it slaps when you're like, what? Grade one. Mm -hmm. When you're in first grade. Yeah, when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you you can't be cutting crust as an adult now. Oh, dude, the crust is like the best part of the bread. Okay, good. I was good at the question. (laughs) But yeah, no, I just I just wanted to add on to you, Jeff, because like, I think, um, for me, it hasn't really changed much in terms of like how I view being Asian in 2022. But I think for me, it's more of like discovering more sides of like cultures just in general. So like going into like how a specific like Filipino dish and why it's made a certain way or like the techniques that are used to create a dish, for example, like getting into like more nitty gritty details and then like going into history, for example, like Filipino history has been something that I was always like kind of interested in. And over the last couple of months, I've been watching a lot of stuff about it and just exploring more about, you know, why Philippines is the way it is and exploring how the country came to be all of its um, historical figures and, you know, people that's sort of made Philippines the way it is. And then I started going into other Asian cultures like Japanese history, Korean history. And now I'm on a Chinese history trip most recently. So I think for me, it's just more of like discovering culture and um, learning more about um, all sorts of cultures in Asia. Absolutely. And again, I agree with all of you. And like what Leah was saying about what I said earlier, I my view hasn't really changed because I've always just known that I was Asian and it was a part of me and I've always been raised to be proud of that. Um, So it's not really anything different. I think nowadays, like everyone else was saying, it's just about learning more uh, about your culture and identifying more with that. And I think more recently for me, it's been like actively trying to learn the languages that my family speaks, like connecting through them with the language that they spoke is has been something that I think is more powerful for me to, to like connect with my identity. I know that my family speaks like three different dialects and I understand all three of them, but like they're they're all mixed up in my head. Like I cannot differentiate between the three of them. So, I mean, I try, but like I, I do encourage people if they want to learn the language that their families were speaking, like it, it's a really fun way to get in touch with your family back home. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me also something that I want to keep in mind, like just going forward, not even like in the next year, but in like the big picture of things, I guess, moving into like, I don't know, my late twenties is to like preserve that culture, not mm-hmm. just to like um, discover it, but, preserve it and be able to like pass it down to my kids because mm-hmm. I think that's like a big well I don't know if it's a fear but it's something that I don't want to get lost because I don't know like when you get older and like you know as the times change mm-hmm. you know values change like mm-hmm. you know the kids these days they can't live without their um, iPads and their TikToks and you know but I don't want them to lose that distinctive um, culture that makes them who they are and who I am and who my family was. So I think that's an important thing for me is to like also learn the language, try to pass it down. And I guess also just pass down all the dishes that were cooked for me in my childhood. So my 
kids in the future maybe they won't think that's a good lunch is a ham and cheese sandwich with uh mm-hmm. the crust cut open cr- cut over but you know something like uh chicken adobo with rice like mm-hmm. they'll think like oh that's what i want mm-hmm. and i want them to be proud of that i don't want them to be ashamed of it like you know as we may have been at one point during our lives when we were kids you know i think things are changing um thankfully because I, I don't know maybe this is just in my personal life but i have a little cousin that i lived with when i was in ottawa for school and i was really worried when she started going to like a french speaking school I was kind of worried about like the reaction she would get because she's mixed race, the reaction she would get because she she really insists on having Filipino food. If you're Filipino, Mungo, you guys oh, know that? Oh, Mungo. Yeah. She, she, she really loves that stuff and she brought it to school and I was so worried yeah. that, and I asked her, I remember asking her like her first day of school, her first week at school, I was like, did anyone say anything about the lunches you brought? And she said, no, nobody said anything. And my teachers thought it was really cool. And they asked me to talk Aww. about it. And, like so, things are changing. So and I'm that makes really my happy. heart so warm. Aww. I know, I know. Yeah, and, and like Mongo too, like Mongo, that's like next level like Tagalog dishes. Cause like, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, like I love it, but it doesn't look like the most appealing to like someone that's, never like had it before no. i would say but yeah yeah it's been for people that are listening or watching and they don't know what it is it's kind of like um it's like a pea soup right yeah but it's like it's mung a type bean. of bean it's a mung bean, bean. And then yeah it's like yeah and then it can be made like either a little more thick to like it's not really a soup anymore it's more like kind of like a stew kind of mm-hmm. and it's generally eaten with like fish and rice or just with rice yeah though i like to eat it with fish Really? I like it with shrimp. Shrimp? I've never had it with shrimp before. Interesting. Yeah, I got made fun of too when I brought that one time for lunch. And then I I think that was the stigma the day I came home and was like, sandwiches only, please. (laughs) Where's my ham and cheese sandwich? I need a sandwich. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's really good to hear. I like that. Yeah. And I wanted to add on to John's point because that is very important. Um, we understand what it was like growing up of that feeling, right? And I think it's very important to preserve that and be able to uh, pass that down and create an environment for our our future children, if we decide to have children, uh, to be able to feel proud. Like we got to be their first like real role model. Um, we play an important role in their development and their love for culture. We have a responsibility to bring that down. And I'm I'm attempting to learn more Vietnamese like I am fluent in terms of understanding it but because of the fact that I still don't really have any Vietnamese friends or whatnot um, I haven't been having a a lot of chances to pronounce and practice that pronunciation so it sounds very broken I guess when I speak it it's just the way I explain it is if like a Filipino person um, that doesn't really know how to speak English tries to speak English like that's the way when I try to speak Tagalog it's like I have to think about it in order to form the sentence in my head and like it comes out either very broken or I just use the words wrong and then also like low-key I get teased because like I have a Canadian accent when I speak Tagalog so then it makes me like even more kind of shy to like speak Tagalog especially when I'm in front of family friends or like family that I'm not like always talking to every day because I'm like oh they're gonna like tease me or you know so I don't speak that often but I'm, I'm trying to like actively learn it and practice it more yeah, yeah. I mean I I've guess been I, told I, to go back to my motherland 
<laughs> because I should learn the language from my people too. Oh my I mean, I guess like I understand that it's frustrating when you're learning and people are making fun of you, but like you got to get to a point where like you're not afraid to make those mistakes. Yeah, you just don't care because, anymore. Like once they once they laugh at you, they'll correct you or whatever, and you'll like figure it out faster. Like like I I just say things, and I'm like, you're gonna get it. Like. <laughs> I'm sure you'll understand what I said and like <laughs> it works out but yeah then yeah, you suddenly learn for sure my next question for everyone and in relation to bit of this conversation because we talked about how we should be the first role models for our children uh to preserve the culture and f- have them feel proud of who they are but for you guys who is your who was like your role model the, the person that you saw through media or whatnot that really kind of strengthened your love for being Asian. And I can start by saying for me, I guess, admittedly, it was probably Jeremy Lin. Because first of all, when he, at that time, before him, the only person that was associated with basketball as an Asian was Yao Ming. Yep. And everyone would make that joke. So yeah. I remember that moment during Lin Sanity where even my teacher was like, oh, have you heard of Jeremy Lin? And I'm like, no, what is this? And then I started watching. I'm like, wow, like he's a cool, I guess at that time, oh, cool. I mean, he's still cool. I'm just saying like he was really cool. This cool Asian guy who was tearing up the NBA and he was someone other than this other person. And he wasn't really the stereotypical like even though there was like big Asian people back then, like Jackie Chan, like they were also fitting the stereotypes. This was kind of starting to break the stereotype. And so he was that person for me at the time. Yeah, I, I definitely remember. Um, okay, this is like probably like low key racist, but like when you're in the basketball court on like those times as a kid, they're like, hey, yo, somebody pick a Lin, Lin over here. Or like when Jeremy Lin was before Jeremy Lin, it was like, oh, someone go get Yao Ming, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you're, like, the Asian guy playing basketball. But um, what I was going to say was um, the person for me that kind of I identified with and looked up to is actually Manny Pacquiao. Because um, mm. for people that know um, or don't know, Manny Pacquiao is probably, like, the greatest, like, Asian boxer to ever, you know, step in the ring. He's, um, I think, eight-time world, eight-division world champion. He's the only ever eight division world champion and that's going from like 100 i think 114 pounds up all the way to 154 that's never been done in boxing before and he did it and i think just in general like the reason why i looked up to him is because of how he could bring an entire country together just for like his fights literally he was so influential that whenever he would fight apparently there would be like no crime for a day because literally everyone in the philippines is like watching the fight i don't know how true that is but like when pacquiao would win the fights and then he'd come home to the philippines and then be like parades like you can kind of imagine that that's like the effect that he had and for me and i guess a lot of filipinos he just showed that you know we can dare to dream you know, and we can dare to reach these insane heights that have never been seen before because he literally did it. He came from, um, you know, a small town. He was just selling donuts and cigarettes on the street. And then he became a world champion (laughs) and in eight different weight classes. Like that to me was just like so inspiring. And I still like kind of like tear up sometimes when I watch like some old Pacquiao fights, because really like he's going up against these big guys that are like naturally bigger than him naturally like fight in that weight class. And he's like, he's there and he's competing and he's for most of the time winning. 
So for me, that was Pacquiao. And I'm pretty sure that was like that person for a lot of Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I remember one of my friends did a speech on him in like grade three when we, or was it grade four, whenever we first started doing speeches. Um, and then afterwards at recess, me and her and another Filipino girl in our um, class, we just started bonding over the Pacquiao like fam jams that would happen. And then also we, like your titas and titos like screaming every time yeah. like Pacquiao like lands a punch or like gets hit. They're like, ah! yeah. like you know, <laughs> yeah, those are like poor so memories. Yeah. Yeah, those parties were really fun. Like I just kind of still remember like it was kind of kind of the first times that like I found or I kind of knew what community was. Like community was going to someone's like really small apartment or they're like, house like a really small yeah. living room and like 20 plus people there and just you know having the kids like in the background like i don't know i was playing pokemon on like my nintendo yeah like <laughs> these other people i'd be trading my pokemon and then the adults would just be like drinking beer or something with like, like poker mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And just why it was just kind of like the first times so i'm like oh this is really cool just to be part of that just to see the community but I feel like the first, one of the first people for me actually, like, was, I think this was Miss Philippines 2006. Because during, like, back then in the 2000s, like, beauty pageants weren't really big in the Asian, they weren't, like, not big, but, like, they weren't as big as they were right now. And it was just, like, kind of a really significant moment in the sense that, like, beauty outside of being tall, blonde, and white can be found in other parts of the world as well. And there's different like versions of what like a woman is or even what a filipino woman is and just the fact that i can actually identify features with that person really means a lot as a little girl and even as a kid i was always kind of like just really interested in just the fact that like filipino beauty exists and the fact that like i could look at my black hair and be like okay like there's someone else that has it and like it's really cool that this person's like you know like a young like role model for women and is on that stage so it's like i remember like as a kid it would be really cool just to also see like actors or actresses that happen to be filipino on tv like dante basco with um i think hooked like watching like yep. hooked and i'm like that person looks filipino and then just realizing like, oh yeah the- they're all for Izuka, so that's really cool. Um, and Vanessa Hudgens, just like seeing her on TV and being like, oh, she looks Filipino, then finding out that she's Filipino. So I feel like even for kids, I feel like the first, like not really in general, but like the first kind of instance that you would kind of take of your identity is kind of seeing it through media or seeing it like the shows that you watch, the music you listen to. Yeah, definitely. Talking about media, my role model for, I guess, like Asian um like my Asian role model growing up was the Higa, um, mm. Ryan Higa on YouTube. Yes. Um, and I think the thing was like, I think it was how to be nerd. Cause I felt like I was boxed into that stereotype, right? Of like being a smart Asian and like, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh wow, look, there's a smart Asian like making fun of that stereotype. Um, and then I also realized like that kind of meta humor was so up my alley. Um, so I just like, I ate up all his videos and it was so cool seeing like, um, he also talked about like his ADHD. Like he talks so openly about his, um, uh, like his, I guess, experience as an Asian person and also as someone going through um, like whatever kind of, um, is ADHD like a, an attention disorder? Yep. I'm not too sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, something like that. 
so it was really cool seeing someone like that open up and it was like so accessible and he was just growing and growing and people liked him and he was funny it just helped me also shape my humor and like how I can bring my um experiences into like that like humorous lens too which is nice yeah I think YouTube YouTube and me and like that media platform in general had a lot of um, Asian people to inspire and like mm. for us to look up to. But weirdly yeah. enough, when, when Jeff, when you mentioned like who is your role model, uh, and I, I, I don't mean to be cheesy when I say this, but like my first thought was my dad. <laughs> like, I think my dad like has always been a role model for me in general, but especially with culture, like he. I have a really strong relationship with my dad, and ever since I was a little girl, like I remember. Um, when I came to Canada, he came here before I did. When I came to Canada, um, we kind of bonded over like he would let me ask any questions I had and he would answer anything he could about our family history in the Philippines, about like the way the society was, like what his childhood was like growing up, like what it was like being in the Philippines during certain times. And like on top of that, he would he would always be like the best hype man. He would always say like, your features are beautiful. Like you don't have to look a certain way. Like the way your nose is, is the way it should be. And he would say like, you don't have a white person name because you're Filipino. Why would you have a white name? Like, I'm going to give you this name. And I remember growing up and like, you know, at Filipino parties, like you had, you would have a lichon. My dad was the one who would make those. So I grew up like right in the action of like, yeah, like, (laughs) I would grow up with that and my dad used to bake like Asian bread and I was growing up around so much of my culture because of him and I always am thankful for that. So to my future children, you're going to be hanging out with your grandpa a lot. Aww. <laughs> Aww. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, hearing that type of stuff, like that's absolutely amazing. It's the, the importance of fatherhood. I guess parent, both mm-hmm. parents are very important, but fatherhood, especially at... Uh, as someone who wants to be a father, uh, when my father passed from cancer, that helped me reflect on how I want to be a father because I understood what it was like growing up having that void. Because um, like obviously um, now, especially now that I'm at that point where I actually am curious and I want to learn about my identity and stories, I won't ever get those chance to ask those questions anymore because he's gone. And so all the things that you were describing about your father, Rhea, those are the type of things that I would want. Yeah, to I was going to say that too. Like when we were talking it's... earlier about like preserving culture and um, like, you know, passing it down to your kids. Like I was just thinking, wow, I want to be, I want to be like Ray's dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> what I want to be like. like mm-hmm. Yo, role model for real. I hope he sees this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show it to him. That's so cute. <laughs> That's honestly the best. Uh, love my mom too, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Yes. <laughs> no, you, you bring up a good point, though, because, like, obviously, there are celebrity, well, figures in media do, do matter because um, they're on, like, the bigger scale of things. They represent a big part of society. But obviously, again, the first big role model should be your family members and mm-hmm. your parents. And sometimes, and some people, unfortunately, especially I guess we could speak for Asian and for Asian households we don't always get those type of transparency and openness about mm-hmm. those conversations and in some ways unfortunately they, contri- they contribute to the children's lack of identity right because there isn't a lack of there, there's a lack of perspective there's a lack of um, sympathy or understanding 
I mean, we the, one of the common themes we've talked about throughout the show is just about how um, sometimes the struggles that their parents gone through, whether it's escaping war fled, war torn countries, kind of warps their mentality of life and it yeah. pushes it down on the child, mm-hmm. where it doesn't give the children a chance to learn about their culture because all they're focused on is succeeding, right? The American and dream. Those, yeah, exactly. And so obviously, survival. there's like yeah. survival. Yeah. Survival. So there's a lot survive. of mm-hmm. 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 So there's a lot of different themes and of that that we've talked about, like the, the model minority myth and um, just how much that harms them in the future. Because mm-hmm. I still know of people who at an older age, they still don't have the understanding and perspective. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate. So Rhea, for someone like you, you it you are very fortunate and lucky to have such a great system. The fact that he was willing to tell those stories to you mm-hmm. is honestly a gift and a privilege and something I I, I wish I mm-hmm. could I could have, you know. Oh, for sure. I know. Um, oh. oh, no, go ahead, Rhea. I was going to say, I mean, like, maybe in a way, the podcast can be my dad for everybody. You know, Aww. like, as we're talking Aww. about these things, like, you know, I hope that that's giving people who are listening a chance to connect and get some answers that they've wanted to to know about, like, what it's like, you know. Yeah, you were about to say something. Yep. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, too, um, growing up, like, Asian, a lot of things that I guess like you do in the daily just kind of become, you know, second nature that you don't even really, you know, realize that it's different from other uh, cultures or different from other families, which I really like enjoy and definitely take for granted sometimes. Um, Things like family dinners or um, like cleaning or or making food, whatever that process is, is like um, obviously differs from uh, in different families and such, but it's also something that like is distinctly like Asian, like what you've done with your family and you see it with your extended family. It's really cool to see. Um, and I think it's funny because in my experience, when I've asked my parents why they never taught us Tagalog moving here, their biggest thing was like, oh, you know, like you're in Canada, we want you to like, we want it to be easier for you to like get along with your other, you know, Canadian classmates, white classmates, which is like, like back then I was like, you know, like upset because now like I don't know Tagalog and I meet my family who are from the Philippines that they speak it and I feel left out. Um, But now it's also kind of like I see that like survival mentality um, where they're coming from and why and stuff, which is like obviously unfortunate, but um yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting because it, we're we're learning, right? Yeah, and it's understandable. Like the way I see it is like they sacrificed so much in order to come here, right? And they just want to give their best chances for their child to succeed in exactly. this society. So you can understand why like mm-hmm. they would go to like drastic measures, mm-hmm. such as like you know, not really passing down like that's culture of speaking Tagalog, for example, or speaking Vietnamese. You can you can understand that. But um, I guess, yeah, like it wasn't really like a priority for them. It was more mm-hmm. of just we have to do what's best for our kids to succeed in this society. Yeah, and one thing I, w- I wanted to highlight as well 
is a common thing that they say is you know they went through a lot of hardships and they they rightfully did like they 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 sacrificed their life they went from a whole different country to another and it must have been really really hard but one thing we're trying to highlight with this show is that we've gone through hardships as well and that we shouldn't they're trying to compare no we shouldn't yeah. be comparing our own we have different struggles but they are valid and so that's why we're trying to it's talk not to like exactly. maximize or minimize anyone's struggles right no exactly and i think that's also part of like i don't know if you've noticed in like um social media and stuff like that about breaking generational traumas like yeah. i think it it came out a lot with reference to like indigenous people and their struggles and um, breaking through that mold and I think it's very important and very much something that a media like this podcast helps do is like talk about these things because like as you kind of know like our parents generation is a little bit more you know hush hush we don't really talk about things like mental illness or relationships yeah. or whatever um whereas now we're, we're way more vocal like I find like our generation is very much like hey I need help with this thing. Like, can you help me? And like everyone, we're just very much like asking each other, especially I found during COVID, like we couldn't really do anything but message people online. And like you were saying even before Jeff, how you like connected with um, Vannery Kong, like that's um, something that you did, like, and you did it through a community online. So that's really cool. But part of that too, bringing back to like breaking generational trauma is like being able to voice and air out these um, opinions and what we think and um, just kind of figuring it out too and like how learning could continue to learn how we're growing from our hardships and individual struggles yeah and I think yeah. just just to add on that like I think it's important to also try to have a dialogue like with the you know your parents your older generation because i know like sometimes it's hard to talk about like specific topics to them but if you come at to come to them with like an honest like hey this is how i feel about this or you know because like you can go like a bunch of different topics right and like sometimes your parents are gonna have different opinions whether it's about politics religion like relationships you could go on and on and on but i think the important thing is to try to make that environment where it's healthy to have that dialogue with them so at least they may not agree with you but they can try to at least see where you're coming from and from there you can sort of decide where to move on from there and i think that's also what we try to do with this podcast like you know we try to make these connections we try to talk about these topics so it's not something that's you know taboo i guess to talk about and, and just to add on, like, however way you're going to do these conversations and and um, unpack that trauma, do it in a way that is safe for you. Because uh, I know that a lot of people are in different situations where they may not be safe to talk to their fam their family about this stuff. So find other ways. There are other ways. You know, obviously, we've, we're having a lot of emotional conversation about things about our community that we're trying to change and are continuously changing to this day. But it's also good to celebrate. And the reason I was going to, I was originally asking about that mm -hmm. first person um, before 
I was that first person that was like kind of like that role model for you is nowadays there's so much more representation mm-hmm. and role models in media but there's more opportunities for the kids today who uh look and be proud i mean obviously shang chi and simu liu is like one person that instantly pops mm-hmm. up for me um his mm-hmm. impact just him being um a notable asian figure in mainstream hollywood in a big one of the biggest roles in marvel absolutely amazing to even, um, I don't know if you guys watched this movie that came out this year. I still have not yet to watch it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, yes. yes. I, that's the best it, movie. Yeah. Oh my, I cried so much. You just need to watch it. it. Oh. Best movie of 2022. I, I, I still gotta watch it. So good. Me too. So good. I watched it with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been okay. nice. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I heard it's already the top movie of the year. So I'm definitely going to. I'm really excited to watch that. Um, another movie that came out this year. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watch horror. I actually don't, but I watched this. But Uma, um, oh, it stars Sandra, Sandra O. Oh. Yes, <laughs> that was a <laughs> fucked up movie. Yeah. She's also I Canadian. Yeah, yes, she Lala. is. Good. She her uh, name Uma? is in City Hall. Cool. She's mm-hmm. been to City Hall in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Yes, and actually that kind of movie. Uh, it's more than a horror movie. It actually touches some of the themes we're talking about here in mm-hmm. terms of identity, um, because I believe the what not to spoil the movie at all, but like one of the key components is his is her relationship with her biracial uh, daughter who identifies more with her white side. Um, I thought you were going to say a... that uh, the movie was like it had to do with like this Greek guy that approached her on the street and be like, "Hey." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. I hate horror Can't movies, but, but yeah, no, honestly, I think like, and something we're going to be talking about and a great way to wrap this up too, I guess, in talking about what what's expected for season two is a combination of both of the serious conversations about things that we can do to improve as an Asian community, but also celebration of our culture the people who um, are making differences in our community, who are representing us in a rightful way that are changing perspectives in the mainstream. And we're gonna be talking about all different themes, everything Asian with the Asian Connection. Thanks for listening to AZN Connection. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Reach out to us on social media at AZN underscore connection if you have any feedback or episode ideas. 